0: Welcome to the Legacy Nashville Podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Today, we are gonna be talking from Acts chapter four, verse 32 through 37 on the subject of one heart and one soul. Will you guys say that with me? one heart and one soul we're going to talk about unity today one heart and one soul you know this week as i was studying this for this sermon i was on youtube looking up football chants because there is nothing like you know that sensation of togetherness like a football chant did somebody say roll tide is that you But I was looking up like Drew Brees, uh, when he would like get the saints together. And I was like, that's prophetic. (laughs) You know, the quarterback getting the saints together. I don't know. As a preacher, I like things like that. And I thought, man, this could be a football chant. And in first service, I had Seth come up and uh, do it because he's actually a football coach. And he did it like this. He said, one heart. Heart. Say, you guys got it. One soul. Boom. Yeah. Y'all like that? Yeah. Let's do it. One heart. One, heart. one soul. Boom. <laughs> right, we're we're going to give the devil a headache this morning. Y'all ready? One heart. One, heart. one soul. Boom. <laughs> Y'all like that? So I was like, man, that is such a sensation of unity. Does anybody in here play football? You coach football? You ever played football? Tabor's still the only person, but you know, it's like you're, you're in that huddle and man, there's just something about that unity. Right. And I got to thinking, man, I believe I'm believing for this, for the body of Christ in this season. And I genuinely believe this church that there is a prophetic movement taking place in the body of Christ right now. I really believe this church and I believe that part of that movement is a moving towards unity. I really believe this and I feel like I can testify to it because the enemy is working so hard to divide the body of Christ. But what I see happening and I just saw it yesterday through one day LA. Did anybody else see that event that happened in LA? Justin Bieber was there leading worship, Chance the Rapper, Jaden Smith. I was so happy Jaden Smith was there. It was awesome. And uh, who else was there? Judah Smith. They were preaching the gospel. People were getting saved. It was amazing. It's awesome. We saw a merging of two different types of music together for one purpose, which is the name of Jesus. That's amazing. And I think we're beginning to see this in musical genres as well. Have you guys noticed this emergence and this collaboration of both like CCM worship music that for so long we've listened to on iHeartRadio and now there's like this collaboration with gospel music and now we have like Hammond B3s in corporate worship songs. I don't know if anybody else is noticing this. I know Rob is noticing this, but it's amazing to see this collaboration take place and this unity start to happen. Does anybody else see this? It's like we see churches that have long since Stayed stuck in one stream start to collaborate with other streams Preachers that would never in previous years have belonged in somebody else's pulpit because of what they believe You know, just some slight small doctrinal issues. We're not talking about the trinity or whether or not jesus is the christ We're talking about small fringe issues that pastors would disagree on and then they would never connect and they would never work together We are starting to see a ton of that dissolve I don't know if you guys have noticed that or not and I'm praying into it because getting and, and, you know, hear my heart, getting the sheep together has never been as hard as getting the shepherds together. And I, I see leaders in the body body of Christ that are, that are beginning to humble themselves and wash the feet of other leaders. They're like, you're not like me. You don't look like me. You don't preach like me. Y'all don't worship like us, but I'm with you. And I'm with you for one heart, one soul. You like that, don't you, You just got here, but you like that, don't you? That's nice. Unity. And that's what we see happening here in Acts chapter 4. At the beginning of Acts chapter 4, which was two weeks ago, but go back and listen to the podcast. We saw that there was a, a man who was lame in his body, laid out at the gate called Beautiful, begging for some charity. And then you had the apostles, Peter and John, come by... And they pray for him in the name of Jesus. And he receives a supernatural miracle in his body and is healed and restored at the beginning of Acts chapter four. Now, we can't miss this because at the end of Acts chapter four, there is another supernatural miracle that takes place in the body of Christ where there is wholeness and healing and it is also a supernatural miracle when people are together in unity it is a supernatural miracle i don't know if you guys can acknowledge this but getting a team all together in unity feels like a miracle getting a church all together in unity on one page with one heart and one soul, that feels like a miracle. Let me talk to the musicians for a minute. Getting one band. (laughs) y'all ain't gonna go with me. Uh, Getting one band all together. Alex, you know what I'm talking about. In unity is a supernatural miracle. It's a supernatural miracle. When people are coming together in a spirit of unity, it is a sign and a wonder. And I believe that this is what this passage is wanting to inform the church of today. This is not simply meant for Acts chapter four, but this is also meant for 2021 in East Nashville at legacy church in their fifth year anniversary. It is for us. So let's go scripture by scripture here. I'm going to move through quick, but I do have six points. So if you're taking notes, just get ready. I'm going to scatter them about throughout the message. But uh, verse 32 says this. Now the full number, everybody say full number. What does that mean? Everybody, right? Everybody, the full number. And by my count at this point in Acts chapter four, we have 8,000 men. That have been saved. So that means their wives and their kids have come home to salvation through the name of the man, Christ Jesus. But we have 8,000 people who are in one church in one city, and the Bible says they have one heart and one soul. That is a supernatural miracle. 8,000 people plus their wives, plus their kids. If, if you want to know what unity doesn't look like, come to dinner at my house. Getting the kids in unity? All the parents in here said, that's a miracle. So that means everybody, the full number, and they were of one heart and one soul. Now we know that in a church of 8,000 or in a church our size, however big it is or however many people are in here, There are many hearts. We all got, you know, different dispositions, different opinions, different perspectives, different backgrounds, different cultures, different ethnicities. There's so many things about each and every one of us that make us unique and different from one another. There are many hearts and there are many souls. We all have different mindsets. We have different attitudes. We have different takes. We have different patterns of thinking. We have different experiences, different lifestyles, different histories. And yet the Bible shows us that despite the singular hearts and despite the singular souls, the Bible tells us that it was like the whole body, the whole church in one city had one heart and one soul. That right there, church, is a supernatural miracle that they could achieve this measure of unity, which is what we're talking about today, unity. The title of the message, by the way, is One Heart, One Soul. I don't know if I said that. But unity, biblically, this is how you define unity biblically. Here's what it is, oneness. To me, I I start to think about marriage. And the two shall become which means at least half of you has to die. <laughs> All the newlyweds and he was like, man, eh, he's preaching. <laughs> but church, I think it's the same with the body of Christ because we know that Paul teaches us that marriage is simply a mirror of the mystery of Christ relationship with his bride in the same way that we covenant with one another in marriage we can look at that as a picture of what I believe what I believe it's going to take that we would approach one another as a family as a body as a church and say one heart one soul what God has joined together let no man separate one heart one soul unity I know you got a heart. I got a heart. I know you got a perspective. I got a perspective. I know you got an opinion. I got an opinion. But one heart, one soul. It's amazing to me that football teams can achieve greater unity than the church of Jesus. It's amazing to me that soccer teams could achieve greater unity. That college football teams, college basketball teams, whenever it comes tourney time or March madness, man, it's always March madness in the kingdom. Our soul's not on the line. Is this not life or death? And yet we sit back warming the bench thinking, ah, they got it. It's okay. We can be broken. We can be divided. It doesn't matter. No, no. Look, Acts chapter four is teaching us something church. It's prophesying to us about a possibility of an experience and a reality that we can have at church. Do you guys believe this? Yes. Do you dream about this? Yes. I dream about this. Yes. I read these passages and I'm, I'm like, you, know, you, you guys know, like, you don't just read the Bible. The Bible reads you. Yes. As a pastor, I'm reading these passages and I'm like, I'm convicted. Yes. We need more unity, more togetherness. As the Bible defines unity, we need more oneness, that the two would become one, that we would be together as a body don't let the hand say to the foot, I don't have any need of you. You guys remember these passages. They're so important for us right now. And I'm going to get to the reason why in just a moment. But the, the type of unity we're reading about today, church, cannot be achieved by man-made programming. I, this is where I get into trouble. The type of unity that we see taking place in Acts chapter 4, it is not going to be achieved through our own strength. If you agree, say amen. Amen. There is no way. I mean, we're talking about marriage. How in the world would our connection be sustained aside from grace? Every married person in the room said amen. I don't know how people do it without Jesus. Yeah, I'm I'm going somewhere right now. I don't know how they do it without Jesus. And there is no way that you and I and this body, this community are going to stay connected for any longer than a short term window. So long as you're comfortable and nobody gets on your nerves without. Grace and power and Jesus. There's no way. There is no way you cannot achieve biblical unity through the YMCA. I love the YMCA by the way, but you can't do it through the Elks Club or the Ladies Auxiliary or whatever else. You know, I I used to have one of those at my church growing up, but it's not a man-made program or an event or a conference or a stadium gathering or a prayer. It's not going to be any type of event or man-made program that will allow this type of of holy sovereign biblical unity to take place. It is only going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit because that's what took place in Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost. We studied it a few weeks ago and the result of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Some people call it revival. The result of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit is that there is a supernatural miracle taking place not only in the body of the lame man at the beginning of Acts chapter 4, but also in the body of Christ at the end of Acts chapter 4. Point number one unity is spiritual. I, I, I might also say inversely, division is spiritual too. Because we're designed to be interdependent, we're designed to be connected. We're designed to be loved. We're designed to have life giving, thriving, healthy, whole relationships. One heart, Uh, one soul. (laughs) Unity is spiritual. It cannot be achieved by man made programming. It cannot. It's it's not going to be a conference, it's not going to be an event, it's not going to be a program. The type of unity that we're looking at today in Acts chapter four is probably the best picture of unity that we have this side of heaven. Like the only thing I can think of more fantastic would be the marriage supper of the lamb. You know, when we all get there to the other side. Unity is spiritual, but here's something I want to say. Listen, this didn't go over well in the first service. The front row thinks it did, but I could see everybody's faces. (laughs) Unity is spiritual. But I want to point out something is that the early, early church was not working for unity. Now, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't work for unity. I'm just trying to recite the facts because this is the summer study sermon series that we're going through word by word. And I don't think that you're going to be able to look through what the early, early church was doing and say, you know what their sole goal was? Yes. Come on. Unity. They were not trying to get the whole into a place of one heart and one soul. This measure of unity, this measure came as the result of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This unity took place not because they enthroned unity as the thing that they gathered around. This unity took place because they enthroned Jesus as the thing that they gathered around. Because here's what I've learned. Is that we can make unity our unity our goal and never get unity. But if we make Jesus our goal... Unity will become a byproduct because Jesus is extremely passionate about unity. How's it going so far, Rob? It's okay. If you study revivals, and I do, when an outpouring of the Holy Spirit takes place, you know what the byproduct is? Unity. Diversity. I know I'm hitting some hot topic issues inclusion. Look back to our roots as Pentecostals. 1901 Azusa street revival. I think we can all acknowledge that race relations weren't going super well in our nation in 1901. And yet who stands up as the man of God to steward what the spirit is pouring out, but William Seymour. An African-American man with one eye, the son of slaves, who used to sit through worship with a fruit box on his head. That's weird, isn't it? But that's what happened. And you know what? Nobody cared. You know why? Because the Spirit of God was being poured out. And when we gather around the person of Jesus, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter who's laying hands. It doesn't matter who's prophesying. It doesn't matter who's greeting. If we get Jesus, we get unity. Okay. I'm going go a little further. Look at, you know, 1906, 1907. I think around that time, you see Amy simple McPherson, an actress turned revivalist who started preaching in downtown Los Angeles. And then a female led revival was sparked in the early 1900s. And I think we can all acknowledge that gender relations weren't at an all time high in the early 1900s. Women had not even yet been given the right to vote, but God gave them the right to lead revival. You look at Mariah Woodworth at this woman, you know, it's, it's like a short lady with a high pitched voice. They said, and she was hosting tent revivals without permission. And people would come in to receive the word of God and go into three day trances. Explain that one. I don't know. I know this. That I heard pastors say, You know women cannot be apostles. And then I met Heidi Baker. I was like, You wrong. (laughs) She planted like ten thousand churches in Mozambique. Sounds pretty apostolic to me. How many of you guys want this level of unity? Me. I want it. You know why? Because this is the type of unity that heaven has. Yes. And unity is the atmosphere of heaven. Yes, right. And if we want what heaven has, we're going to have to camp around what heaven enthrones. Yes. Yes. Which is? Yes. One heart, one, heart. One, soul. one soul. That's it. Jesus. I want what Jesus wants. And you know what Jesus wants? Jesus wants unity. You know how I know? Because I read the book of Revelation and it says in heaven, there's a whole bunch of people gathered around the throne and guess who's sitting on it? And so Jesus is sitting on the throne and it says every tribe. It says every tongue. It says every nation. It says every ethos, every ethnicity. we're all there together. So if that's the atmosphere of heaven and we will pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we'll pray that for healing of a person's body. Why won't we pray that? for the healing of the body of Christ so that we can all collectively be together in camping around the only person worth focusing on and say, Jesus, we want you more than we want anything else. And as you speak to us and as you lead us, and as you pour out your passions, we we say yes to receiving every one of them and working with you to implement them all. Unity I'm going to say this last thing and I'm going to move on. Unity is not the central focus of heaven. Jesus is. And it's got to be the central focus of our church, fam. Let's go after unity. I'm all for it. Let's go after it. Let's go after it. You hear me? Let's go after it. But to have it, we must have Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus himself said, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And guess what's going to be added? Favor, power, grace, unity, empowerment, diversity, love, joy, forgiveness. All right, that's, that's the most controversial I'm going to be. Did we, did we make it through that together? All right, here's point two. It, 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 I'm sweating in here. Here's, here's point two. Unity is, in fact, what Jesus wants. Listen, if you don't want unity, you don't want a move of God. I'm going to say it in another way. If you don't want diversity, you don't want a move of God. Because when Jesus starts moving, the atmosphere of heaven becomes the atmosphere of his church. How are we doing? So Jesus, Jesus in John chapter 17, I think it is the high priestly prayer, right? John 17. Yep. What does Jesus pray right before he heads to the cross? Like this is the moment in which Jesus is in pure agony. Like he is sweating literal drops of blood because he knows where he's headed. He is about to give his body so that we could become the body. And in this moment of agony in the garden of Gethsemane, what is it that we witness him praying? Holy father, keep them in your name, which you have given to me that they may be one one heart, one soul, even as we are one. If that is the prayer of Jesus, whom we serve and follow as his disciple, should that not also be our prayer? As his body to say, Lord, make us one. Make us one. Give us unity, Lord. We want what you prayed. We want to become the answer to the prayer of Jesus. I want God to like look out over the throne at East Nashville, Tennessee, and say right there is an answer to the prayer of my son. (laughs) Unity. Romans 12, 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Paul writes again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Paul writes repeatedly instructing us to pursue the unity of the body. You know why? Because Jesus is coming back for a unified Body. He's not coming back for a dismembered body that's been cut off, portioned off. Hey, you stay over there. I'm going to stay over here. No, we're going to be the conservative church. No, we're going to be the liberal church. No, we're going to be the Republican church. Y'all going to be the Democrat church. We're gonna... Y'all, y'all going to be the white church. We're going to be the black church. We're going to be the Asian church. Y'all going to be the Hispanic church. I, t- I told you this wasn't going to go over so well. It's going to get. But where are the people that's like, hey, I don't care what you look like. I don't care where you're from. I, I, don't, I don't care where you came from. I don't care what your history is. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your denomination is. I don't care what your name is. I, I don't care how you grew up. I don't care where you grew up. If you're if you're following Jesus, man. Let's dive in. One heart. One soul. That's it. What if we did that? Because it's obvious that that's what Jesus wants. Jesus prayed it. That was like his dying prayer. So I don't know about you guys, but I pay attention to what people pray right before they die. Jesus gave his body so that we could become his body. And I can tell you guys this point number three. If we will stick together... We can make it through anything. We can make it through any election. Let me try this out. We can make it through any election, y'all. We we can make it through any controversy. We can make it through any turmoil. We can make it through anything if we choose to stick together. And help each other and love each other and forgive each other. And care for each other in the same way that the early, early church did in Acts chapter 4. If Jesus loves unity, guess who hates it? The devil. The devil hates unity. Jesus can't help but to love unity because he himself embodies unity as the son within the Godhead. So when Jesus proclaims and prays unity, he's praying and proclaiming out of his identity. I'm unified with the Father. I'm unified with the Spirit. All these three are one. Any Christians in here? Y'all take that class? And we see Satan, he also works out of his identity as a destroyer and as a divider. Because what he pursues is what he no longer has. Which is unity with God in heaven, which is why he hates you so much because he could never get back what it is that you freely received by grace. Which is unity with God. And I love it that we're passionate about unity with God, but we also must become passionate about unity with the body. Lucifer is a divider. Greek, the language of the New Testament, refers to Satan as the devil. And devil in Greek is pronounced Diablos. And I thought I'd break his name down for you. In Greek, the devil is Diablos. The first part of Diablos is the word die, which means so while you got Jesus like this, one heart, one soul, here's hell. Two, we got to get them to two. We can't, we can't. What God has joined together, we got to separate. We got to destroy this covenant. We can't let them, we can't let them get unity, y'all. We can't let them stay together. We got to keep them divided because when they come together, they're going to be hard to handle. Dia, which means through, which is where we get our word diameter. So when you look at a circle, right, you got a whole circle. Right. What happens when you create a cut through the center? You draw a line for the diameter. Right. So this is the job of Satan. The devil. Balo means to cast away or to drop. That's what Balo means. And so Diablos means to cut through to make two. To cut through to make two. Anything that's unified. Satan's after it. Your marriage. Your connection with your mom, your connection with your pops, he's after it. He knows the fifth commandment as well as you do. You show honor your mom and your dad. If you do, you'll have a long life. It'll go well with you. Now, I got to cut, I got to cut that into in two. Relationship with your siblings, friends, church, leaders, pastors, disciples, mentors, mentees. Satan's like, "Uh uh-uh, there's unity there. I got to come after that. That's his identity. You see, his function is in his name. Jesus is a unifier while Satan is a divider. So we see here that Diabolos means to cut through to make two. And then also to cast apart, to divide by slander and accusation, which is where we get our word diabolical from. So this is the tactic of the enemy as he seeks to divide us from one another. Gossip, slander, accusation, backbiting, murmuring, stabbing you in the back, word curses. That's the work of the enemy. Just as I said, unity is spiritual. I mean this church. I also believe that division is also spiritual. The enemy is working against unity. It is what he does. It is literally his name. His plan exists in his name. Jesus wants unity, which is oneness. Oneness is what Jesus has in the Godhead. And the devil wants division, which is what he now has by being separated from God. The devil is actively working like this to cut through the body of Christ. He works his plan through lies, gossip, accusation. Anything that he can use to turn us against each other, he's going to deploy. But no matter the attack, church, no matter the controversy. I get it. It's it's, it's going quiet. No matter the controversy, we can make it through this. If we'll choose oneness, we can make it through. It's what it's what heaven has. It's what Jesus wants. Do you want it? Yes. You sure? Yes. You sure. Yes. Well, let me tell you this. Number is point number four. Unity, unity is a good thing, because unity actually commands blessing. Wherever there's unity, health, connection, wholeness, wholeness, one heart, one soul, here's what God says. Wherever that is happening and achieved, I am going to bring blessing upon that house. I'm going to bring blessing upon that family. I'm going to bring blessing upon that church where you will work for unity. I will bring blessing. That's why in Acts chapter two, we see that unity precedes the outpouring of the Holy spirit, right? Because they were in one place with one mind and in one accord. You guys remember that in Acts chapter two. And then now we see unity, uh, following after the outpouring of the Holy spirit. And they have one heart and they have one soul. Unity is obviously very important to God. Unity, in my opinion, is actually the best kept secret of the early, early church. I know some pastors watch us on YouTube now. I want you to know, pastor, unity is so important if you are after seeing God build his church through your house. It's so important that we have unity. It's so important that we have connection. It's so important that we have health and strength and we're together. That is a foundation that God can build upon. This is why uh, in the early, early church, people saw what was happening and they said great power and great grace is resting upon this community. I want you to think back with me for a moment, Acts chapter 2. And I have the scripture, but we looked at this a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 2. Uh, the latter part of Acts chapter two, I think it might, yeah, verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. That's a miracle. What if you, I mean, I wish somebody else was saying this, but what if you didn't patronize your pastor? Amen. Nah, yeah, I guess I'll listen to the guy. You're like, man, what you, what, what the Lord has given to you is important to me. Cause I'm a part of this body. You know, in the old Testament, a shepherd would look in the mouth of a sheep and he would diagnose their health and then lead them to the pasture that had the nutrition that the sheep needed. I believe the Holy Spirit's doing that here. I believe that's what's happening right now in this place this morning. The Holy Spirit's like, hey, listen, look around. We got, we got different cultures, men and women, men and women leading, my wife We're lead pastoring together. We're interracial couple. You know how much hell doesn't want this? All right, I'm gonna move on. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers and what happened and all came upon every soul. This is before we see the apostles start to work physical miracles of healing in people's bodies. They are literally watching the unity of the early, early church. And it says all came upon every soul. I bet you Nashville would pay attention if this church here in East Nashville in this neighborhood was so connected and so unified that all would come upon the city. How are they doing that? That's impossible in today's culture. You got all these people all to collectively together camping around Jesus. They didn't vote the same way. They don't believe the same way. They have different opinions. They have different backgrounds. They come from different uh, nations. You don't think that wouldn't be a supernatural miracle that the city would long to look into? Yeah. Yeah. Unity commands a blessing. Look at, let's look at Psalm 133 real quick. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in... Unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. I want you to notice that unity has a direction. Alignment is the direction of unity. Notice that it is not agreement. Unity is never tested when you agree. Ever. If you keep, if you're new here, here's what I can guarantee. You will at some point be tempted to be offended. At some point, I'm going to hurt your feelings. At some point, a leader is going to say something to you that you're going to be like, I don't like that. And I disagree with that decision. Great. Great, because that's when you receive an invitation into unity, because if you only stay so long as you agree, you don't actually have real unity. That's true. But if you will fight through offense and you will fight through disagreement and you'll say it's not about my agreement, it's about my alignment. I'm here for unity because I know it's what Jesus wants. And I trust that the leaders of the house are camped around him. You guys with me? So, so Psalm 133, it's like the dew of, of Herman. I, I don't know what, I don't know what that is, but it sounds awesome. Uh, which fall, Her- Herman must've been a good dude, you know, very dewy, uh, which falls on the mountains of Zion. I know it's a mountain. I'm just kidding guys. For there, the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. Who wants the blessing of life? We need unity. All right, here's number five. I'm almost finished. Number five is this. Unity is your responsibility. Now, this is going to cut against the grain of some people's position. And I understand that. But listen, unity in this body is your responsibility. If you are waiting on somebody else to pick up the phone and call you and apologize, it might not happen. Let's look at a passage uh, that Jesus was teaching his disciples in Matthew Um, He said in Matthew five, he said, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. I think a lot of people will use worship as an excuse to be dysfunctional in their relationships and never apologize to anybody because, hey, you know, bless God, I was at conference. You know, you see me up here in the front, you see me, I'm worshiping, I'm getting after it. I'm praying, you know, I'm in prayer. Why do I need to worry about that for? Jesus said, don't hide behind your church attendance if you have dysfunction in your covenant relationships. Jesus said, listen, if you want to bring me the worship that I desire, when you remember that somebody I've connected you to for my purposes that there is a rub or there's a disconnect or there's some degree of unhealth. I want you to stop where you are and I want you to go worship me in a different way by connecting with my body. So I want to encourage you. I want you to take responsibility. Paul said in first Corinthians chapter one, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. We cannot hide in church, excusing our responsibility in seeking forgiveness and forgiving other people. Don't hide behind your spirituality to tolerate your brokenness in your covenant relationships. All right. you all ready for the last point. No. Okay. Um, I'll be quick. Last point is this. Number six, a unified church is a generous church. And I I mentioned this earlier in Acts chapter two, because we read about people giving free will offerings. Everybody say free free will. This is so important because if you look at Acts chapter two and at Acts chapter four, if you got money, you're scared. You see what I'm saying? Because you're like, hold on. What? You mean I got to sell everything and come put it on the stage? Listen, some texts in the Bible are prescriptive and some texts in the Bible are descriptive. Not everything is a prescription for you to follow to the T. Y'all are unsure about this, aren't you? Um, Look at the church at Rome. Did Paul command that they sell all of their possessions and come lay it at his feet so that he could distribute it to the poor in the congregation? No, it didn't happen. Did it happen at Corinth? No. Did it happen at Ephesus? Did it happen at Galatia? Y'all don't know what to think about this right now, do you? I'm like, I'm, I'm testing you. It's descriptive. It's not prescriptive. So when you read this, don't think Oh my gosh, I can't apply this word to my life because if I did, I'd have to sell my boat. And I only got one boat. God only had one son. Just notice that it's pretty easy to be generous when you have two. But John chapter three, verse 16 said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and... Only son. One heart, one soul. Last time. So, what you see here is you see generosity happen as a byproduct of the Spirit being poured out, unity taking place, and now the people are hyped to give to one another on the basis of who has needs. When you read this story, their generosity is so radical that the only thing you look at is the generosity. But what they did is not really as important as why they did it or who they did it for. The point of this is not just the miracle of the generosity, but the miracle of the reality that there was one body in so much unity that there was no needy person in the fellowship. That's the miracle that's taking place here. And this, this has happened all throughout Scripture. If you look in the Old Testament, you'll see Moses receiving offerings. You can look at David. You'll see David receiving offerings. But they're always free will offerings. Just like the passage that Kristen read this morning during our offering time. God doesn't want you to give compulsively because you're controlled or because we're being cultish, requiring you to give so much of your income and checking your tax returns. Sheesh, that would be scary. But God trust you and God trust us collectively together as a family that when his spirit is poured out that we would respond with generosity when we see need. Yeah. So what if we were a church that did, not, that did not tolerate neediness in the congregation? And I'm not talking about in a dysfunctional way. I'm talking about in a healthy way. That if somebody said, man, I can't pay the bills. And we know about it. Okay, we got you. We're going to come together. Hey, talk to your small group. Y'all come together. Don't just put it all all, all, all off on the church. Oh, there's so many different directions I could go, but I got to close. You guys get the point of what I'm sharing here, though. A unified church family is a generous church. Generous, looking out for one another, looking out for the poor, looking out for the needy, looking out for people that didn't have anything. This is not, uh, this passage, it's, it's not political. It's not demanding. It's not controlling. It's not advocating for some form of economy. What it's advocating for is unity and generosity and a movement of the spirit. So much so that everybody looked after one another like they were their own blood because they are through the power of Jesus Christ. That's it. So let, let's, let's stand up. We'll pray. I really believe, church, that as we practice spirit-led giving, there'll be no needy people here. <laughs> lion took a lap. Let's go, let's go, let's go, lion. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Come on. That's why when, when, it, when it's time to give, we don't ask you to give under compulsion. We say, hey, let the Spirit lead you to give. Yeah. Ask the Holy Spirit how much you're supposed to give. Give in accordance to what He asks you to give. Yeah. When David was calling people to give unto the temple, he said, here's how you consecrate yourself today. Give a free will offering, whatever the Spirit leads you to give. Yeah. So here, let's do a recap real quick and we'll pray. Number one, unity is spiritual. Number two, Unity is what Jesus wants. Number three, we can make it through anything if we stick together. Number four, unity commands blessing. Number five, unity is your responsibility. Everybody say my responsibility. Listen, if the Lord is tugging on your heart this morning, could you pick up the phone this afternoon and call somebody that you know God's put you in covenant with that the devil is trying to divide the whole relationship that God has designed you to be in with that person? Would you be willing to do that? I know that's scary, but I want to challenge you. Number six, a unified church is a generous church. I've noticed as we've gotten healthier here, our offerings have gone up. I can testify to this guys. I can testify. So let's pray. Lord, we want to say thank you so much. Thank you so much for knitting our hearts together in a more supernatural, miraculous way. Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for the revelation from your word, the transforming power of your spirit. We ask that the Holy Spirit would fall upon this house so that we could step into a greater measure of heaven's unity. Would you agree with me, church, and just say amen? Amen. We just, we agree all together, collectively, that we're going to practice a spirit of unity that is biblically based, led by the power of the person of Jesus. We will rally around you, Lord. We will go after the person of Jesus. And Lord, we will build everything that you want to build here. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said. Thanks for tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.